Well, again, good morning to you. My name is George Davis. Some of you are new to our church, whether you're joining in person or online. And uh, so thank you uh, for filling out that card. We really do want to be a place where you can get connected. As you know, for us, our heartbeat is to be a place, a community where people are living with Jesus, loving like Jesus, and leading others to do the same. So there are a variety of ways we want to help you get connected in this journey of following Jesus. Now, this morning, as I get started, I, I want to ask you a question. The question is this, among the people who know you well, your friends, your family members, are you known for saying certain catchphrases, catchwords, are you you known for always talking about certain themes or certain topics? In other words, whenever people are around you, it feels like this thing always comes up, you always manage to work it into conversations, or are there some things that you always say? If you, if you never thought about it, and maybe if you end up at lunch today with friends or family, just there's a conversation started for you. You may be surprised. It may turn out that you are known for saying certain things that you didn't even realize you're known for, or you're known for talking about certain things that you, you just you never paid attention to how frequently you bring up this topic, or you use that phrase, or you bring things up. To show you what I mean, let me just show you this. Hey, Hershey Free Church, it's the first day of a new month. Hey, Hershey Free, I hope you're having a great week. Hey, Hershey Free. Hey, Hershey Free, I hope you've had a great Christmas season. Hey, Hershey Free, Happy New Year. Hey, Hershey Free, I hope you've had a great summer. Hey, Hershey Free, it was so great to see you over this last weekend. Hey, Hershey Free, I hope you're having a great week. That was brought to my attention a few years ago, and as it turns out, you may be known for saying certain things or talking about certain things, you just don't realize it yet. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, here's the reason I bring that up. Over these weeks um, leading up to Easter, we are going to be working our way through the letters of Paul. And as we do that, um, this morning, what I want to do is really introduce you to Paul's letters. And I want to introduce you to Paul's letters um, by introducing you to one of the phrases that Paul uses. I think it really is kind of a catchphrase for Paul. It was something that was so foundational to much of his life and ministry. And in bringing this up, I want to acknowledge, of course, that Paul writes Paul writes different letters to different people. He writes to different congregations, and he covers a variety of topics. For instance, let's, let me just remind you of a couple of places he writes to, right? He, he writes to the church at Ephesus. This is a picture of ancient Ephesus. So he wrote to a, a small group of Christians that were in this community. He also wrote to a group of Christians in the much larger city of Rome and and so we have those letters. So Paul writes, um, he writes to different people in different situations. 
And it's important to understand that his letters are what are sometimes referred to as occasional letters. And by that I mean this. His letters, for the most part, were written in response to certain things. They're written in response to questions. They're written in response to conflict. They're written in response to certain things that are going on in these early churches or with these early church leaders with whom he corresponds. And so in that, as we're going to see during the the course of this series, he does really cover a variety of topics and issues. So I want to acknowledge the diversity of what he's going to talk about up front. Nonetheless, there really is one phrase that I think encapsulates what he's doing through these letters. Right? Even as he addresses different situations, different topics, different people, I think there's one phrase that really gets at the heartbeat of what he's trying to do. One phrase that really gets to the heartbeat of his encouragement, of his counsel, of his direction. And likewise, this phrase, I think, describes how these letters can encourage you and me today if we're willing to engage them as we're going to do over this series. So what is that phrase? Seven simple words. Here it is. (laughs) Live a life worthy of your calling. Live a life worthy of your calling. One of the reasons... One of the reasons I think this is a good summary of what Paul is seeking to do as he writes these letters is this. He uses this kind of language or similar language in four different books, writing to four different groups of people covering different topics, and yet in each of these letters, this kind of theme comes up. Let me just show you these. First of all, this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And right in the the opening chapters of Ephesians, Paul talks about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And he really focuses on the amazing work of what God is doing through Christ Jesus. And then you get to the second part of the book where he's kind of applying, well, what does that look like? And here's how he begins that section. He says, look, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let's go to the book of Philippians. In chapter 1, Paul acknowledges some of the challenges and the complexities both of his life and of the lives of the people receiving this letter. And then he says this, but whatever happens, right? I can't control the circumstances in my life or your life. But whatever happens, he says this, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. This time it's of the gospel of Christ. Or what about Colossians in the opening chapter of Colossians, Paul is praying specifically for these people, right? And he, he, he includes his prayer in this letter. And, and how does he pray? What, what is he praying for? Well, look at this. He says, I'm praying so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Or let's move to a different letter, uh, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. And In this letter, there's an autobiographical section where Paul talks about what he's been doing. He talks about his ministry. He talks about his relationship to this early group of Christ followers. And in that that description, he says, I've been like a father to you. And he says, as a father, here's what I've been doing. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Four different letters, 
four different groups of people, (laughs) really four different sets of issues and concerns. But in each of them, he comes back to the same kind of thing. Look, I want you, oh, here's what I'm all about. Here's why I'm writing you. Here's what I want to see in your life. I I want you to live a life worthy of your calling. I want you to live a life worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, I think in a similar sense, if, if somehow you and I could sit down with the Apostle Paul today, maybe you, 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 sit, you, know, you sit down, share a cup of coffee at Starbucks or something like that, and, and maybe as we begin the year, you were, you were to talk with him just about what's going on in your life. And even as we talked last week, maybe you would kind of share with him some of your responsibilities or, or, or maybe some opportunities in your life or maybe some of the challenges that, that are kind of keeping you up at night at times or sources of uncertainty, and, and, and maybe you would just have that conversation. And I, I really do believe at, at some point in that conversation as a mentor, as a coach, <laughs> as someone who is for you, if you're a follower of Christ, Paul would come back to the same kind of theme. As you enter 2023, as you're wrestling with these responsibilities, opportunities, challenges, whatever that looks like, he would say, okay, as you think about this, as you engage this, just keep this in mind. Live a life worthy of your calling. Now, maybe at this point you'd say, okay, George, I get it. This is a big theme. This is kind of a major theme in Paul's, in Paul's writings. It's one thing to understand that. It's another thing to actually understand what he's getting at. So what I want to do is really kind of unpack this theme just with two questions. First of all, what, what does this mean? Live a life worthy of your calling. That can be confusing. Among other things, I think it's confusing because we use the term calling in different ways. For instance, uh, maybe you've had this experience. Maybe somebody you've, you've known has, has, has used language like this. Uh, you know, you, you find yourself in a job that really seems to be a good fit for you. Maybe you've had different jobs and, and you find yourself in a job that, now this really feels like my sweet spot. And at some point, you might say this or someone going through this might say, you know, I really feel like I've found my calling. Sometimes we use that language that way. But what does Paul mean when he says, live a life worthy of your calling? Well, I think a helpful way to kind of think about that is to go back to that last verse I showed you. So go back to that Thessalonians passage and and remember the last part of that passage, right? You're to live a life worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. When Paul is talking about calling in these passages, he's talking about the reality that if you are a follower of Jesus, you've You've been called into the kingdom of God. Here I think Paul is obviously building on the teachings of Jesus because the kingdom of God really was central to Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus says, look, here's what I'm doing. I'm I'm bringing about God's kingdom, and, and those who believe in me become participants. They become citizens. They become people who are part of this. And, and so Paul is building on that thing to say, look, I want you to live in a manner that is consistent with the fact that you are now part 
of this bigger reality of what God is doing, this kingdom of God. Now, in saying that, I, I think there is, there's a framework that you need to understand. Um, and it, it, it's, in some ways, it's fairly simple, but this framework is so important in understanding Paul's letters, and it's, it's really, I think, absolutely foundational in understanding the New Testament as you read the New Testament. So let me, let me show you this framework. Now, remember, Paul grew up in a Jewish context. And when in a Jewish context, in the first century, when, when you thought about God's kingdom, here's kind of the way you could talk about it. Here's the way you could think about it. First of all, when you, when you talked about God's kingdom, you could really talk about this age, right? And here's what I mean by that. There's this age in which we live. There's this age, this age of <laughs> brokenness, of sin, this age where things aren't as they should be. And particularly in the first century, part of the way people understood this age was this was the age of foreign domination, right? This was the age in which Israel was under the thumb of Rome. But even in acknowledging that, there was also the expectation that, you know, but one day God is going to do something different. And there's the age to come. And the, the age to come would be when God brings his messenger, his Messiah, who comes to establish his kingdom and who comes to rule and to reign. And, of course, in the first century, that also meant who comes to kick out the Romans. So this, this was kind of how, in Paul's context, you thought about God's kingdom. But here's what you need to understand, and this is really important. In that context, in Paul's background, you thought of these ages as back-to-back. Right? Now, hang with me. This, this may feel a little technical, but I really think it's crucial. So you, you thought of, you know, so we live in this broken world, but one day God's going to do something, and then everything, the Messiah's going to come, and everything's going to change. And it'll be the end of this age, and we're, we're in that final form of what God is doing in his plan of restoring his people. Paul grew up with this framework. But here's, here's what radically changed in his thinking, among other things, when he became a follower of Christ. Paul came to understand these ages, they're not back to back. They actually overlap. You see, Paul came to understand that with the coming of Christ, with the cross work of Christ, the, the, this age to come has now invaded the present age of brokenness. And one day, this age to come will come in its final form when Christ returns. But in the meantime, Paul understands these ages actually overlap. And this framework is central to how he thinks about following Jesus. Paul understands, you know what, these ages overlap. We live in a world of brokenness and sin, and yet God's work has already invaded through the work of Jesus Christ. And the reality is, this was true for the recipients of these early letters. 
And it's true for us today. We live in a moment where both of these ages are at work. Now, we could unpack that a lot more, and I would be glad to tell you this, but but you need to understand this framework really shapes Paul's thinking, right? On the one hand, for instance, Paul can talk about the reality of this present evil age, and he doesn't deny deny that. He doesn't pretend we don't wrestle with sin, or he he doesn't in any way soft-pedal the brokenness of the world in which we live. He understands this is a present age in so many ways that's disappointing. Evil, wickedness, darkness, brokenness. We see it in ourselves, we see it in other people. But he also knows, but the new age has already invaded, and we need to be attuned to that. For instance, think about what he says in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You, you, can, you can really, I think, translate that this way. If anyone is in Christ, there's new creation. It's like Paul looks at you, and if you're a follower of Jesus, he says this. He says, look, I know, I know, look, I know your life is complicated. I know the world in which you live. I get that context. But as a follower of Christ right now, you embody one small piece of the age to come. Because this new age is already at here, and it's been made possible through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, okay, George, okay, okay, I get it, but that, you know, (laughs) it sounds kind of technical. Why is that important? Well, here's one reason why I think it's important. I think it's important because if we don't get this, right, if we don't get the overlap of the ages, I think some of us may be prone to really kind of see one without the other. For instance, I think sometimes followers of Christ just kind of get, they get comfortable with, hey, I'm part of this age. I'm kind of comfortable doing life the way I do it. I mean, I go to church, I pray when things go wrong, and I pray for God to do something, but, but other than that, I'm, I'm just kind of comfortable in this age. I want to work hard, I want to instill good values in my family, all that, you know, that's laudable, but there's a real sense in which I'm just kind of comfortable in the, the way the world is. And I, I don't see any need for anything different. Interestingly, I think, for instance, when you read Paul's letters, there, there are moments where he's challenging his readers. Look, you've just gotten stuck in this age, in the ways of thinking of this age, in the priorities and values of this age. I think particularly this is true in Paul's interactions with the church at Corinth. In so many ways, he's saying, guys, you've just kind of gotten, this is where you're at, and you've lost sight that a a new age and a new way of life has invaded this present age brought by the work of Jesus Christ. So if we're not careful, we can kind of just kind of get comfortable in this age. On the other hand, I just think for... For some Christians, all all we want to think about is kind of the age to come, that God's work is already here, 
And therefore, if, you know, if I'm a Christian, I'm part of this new age, this kingdom of God, however you want to describe it, and because I'm part of what God is doing, you know what? My life should go according to plan. Because God's already at work, and I'm claiming the promises of God, I, I shouldn't experience difficulty or surprises or hardship. And, and sometimes if, if, if I lock into just seeing this, what happens is maybe there's some prizes, some curveballs that come my way, and, and I just don't, I'm not... I don't deal with it well. Maybe I presume, well, I must have messed up. I did something wrong because my life has gotten complicated or I'm in difficult situations. This relationship isn't going the way I thought. And, and so we, we kind of, some of us, we may even put blame on ourselves that because my life isn't going perfectly and I'm part of this age to come, something has gone wrong with me. If that's where you're at, think about the Apostle Paul. Once again, think about his relationship to the Corinthian church, which is very complicated. And at one point in an autobiographical section of 2 Corinthians, Paul, in essence, says, you know, he describes a really hard season, and the language he uses communicates this. This was really stressful. In fact, I think it communicates a deep presence of anxiety and even depression. And maybe you would say, oh my goodness, Christians aren't supposed to, you know, the age to come, God's already at work, we're not supposed to go through that, we're not supposed to experience that. Well, Paul did. We can't talk about that. Well, Paul does. He puts it in the letter. And yet even in that mid, the midst of that hard season, which he has no problem being transparent and describing, he also describes how God was at work. And then you read these really powerful words in 2 Corinthians 4. I just think these are so powerful. Paul says, we are hard-pressed, but not crushed. We are perplexed. And that word can mean confused, anxious, uncertain, doubtful. We are perplexed, but not in despair. And and what is Paul saying? You know what? He's saying this. Yeah, we've been hard-pressed. We live in this age. It's broken. It can be challenging. But we're not crushed. (laughs) Because the age to come is already here. We are perplexed. The things I've been going through at times are difficult. They're uncertain. It's not the way it's supposed to be. That can be confusing. That's this age. But we're not in despair. And in in a real sense, this, this is what Paul is doing throughout his letters. When he says, look, live a life worthy of your calling, what Paul is acknowledging is, look, I know, I know life can be complicated, and he, in different ways we're going to see him deal with topics that make life complicated as we go through these letters. Look, this is this age we live, I know that, I know that. But that's not the whole story because you're now part of something God is doing, his kingdom. This is who you are now. So in the midst of this, live a life 
worthy of your calling. Live a life that reflects your new relationship made possible through Jesus Christ. Well, if that's kind of what Paul was talking about, let's just ask one more question. If that's that's what this means, what does this look like? Live a life worthy of your calling. I think we need to wrestle with what it, what it looks like because there, there are different ways you can take on board Paul's language. And I think there are different ways you can take on board Paul's letters. First of all, when, you know, when Paul says, look, live a life worthy of your calling, you can hear that and, and say, I've got to live up to this, right? I've got to live up to certain standards and expectations. I've got to live up to these directives, commands, morals, ethics, right? I've got to measure up. That's what it means to be worthy, right? You can hear it this way. I I need to measure up to these standards. During my first year as a doctoral student at Cambridge, in my first meeting with my supervisor, after I had written a short paper for him. I presented to that to him. He had read it. We went through it. And then the painful, (laughs) the deeply painful part of the conversation came because he hands that paper back to me and looks at me and says, Mr. Davis, this is not doctoral level work. And I hear those words. And I'm mindful of the fact that, well, this first year is really a probationary year. I'm going to be evaluated at the end of this year to see if I get to continue in the program. I'm newly married. I brought my bride halfway across the world, and now we may get kicked out. And so I had to start working. And I went went through some really, i got to be honest with you, this this is maybe the most stressful year of my life. You know, because I knew I've got to measure up. That evaluation is coming. I've got to meet the standards. I've got to measure up. And I just got to keep working. And so that was that season in my life. Maybe you've had that experience in an academic setting or in a vocational setting. Somebody, you know, an employer looks at you and says, you know what? You've got to step it up. You're not, you've got to live up to our expectations. You've got to live up to our standards. And if you've been in that spot, just as I was in that spot, man, that is stressful. That is weighty. I've got, got to work. Man, I've got to work hard. And I, and I realized in, even in communicating this series, I want to be careful because if I'm not careful, I, this is what I'm laying on you. Man, you've got to, man, you've got to, you've got to live up to this. You can hear that this way. And as we go through the letters, I'm mindful of that. You can hear what we are talking about this way. But can I suggest that really what Paul is not talking about, or what really what Paul is talking about, it's it's not about living up, living up to a standard. It's about living out. It's about living out your new identity. This is how Paul thinks. 
So, so that even when, you know, I mean, Paul can come down hard on people. You need to stop doing some of this stuff. You know, you need to get this junk in your life. You need to think differently. You're stuck in this age and how you deal with one another and how you deal with others. Paul can be very direct. But it's never driven by, you need to live up to this. It's, this isn't who you are anymore. You need to live out your new identity. One of the most classic ways Paul phrases this is found in Philippians chapter 2, right? Paul says, work out your salvation. And, and again, you can hear that as, man, you've got to measure up, you've got to live up. But notice what he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And this, this is the way Paul argues. This is the way Paul thinks. Even, even when he challenges and, and goes after people, you know, his point is, look, I know you're living in this age, but this doesn't ultimately define who you are. This does. So when he says, live a life worthy, what he's saying is, I want you to live in a manner that reflects who you truly are. I want you to live in a manner consistent with your new identity. Let me, let me just give you one example of that. Let's go back to the reading we did earlier, right? Remember, we, we read from Philippians chapter 2, and if you remember in that passage, Paul talks about humility. Now, when we think about humility, understand in the ancient world, humility... Humility is not a virtue. In the ancient world, what is valued is honor. And how do you achieve honor? You achieve honor by outperforming other people. That's how you achieve honor. Furthermore, in the ancient world, people who are not worthy of honor, people who don't possess honor, you don't need to worry about them. You don't need to be concerned. You don't need to care for them. So if they're not of the same social standing, it just doesn't matter. And so this is the world in which Paul is writing Philippians. And ultimately, what Paul assumes is that that competitive attitude where who you are is always dependent on how you compare to other people. What Paul is assuming in this letter is that's, that's this age. And notice, he doesn't simply say, okay, you need to be humble. Notice it is rooted in the story of Jesus, right? Look, you, and what Paul is saying, look, you, you have come into relationship with Christ. And as you read the letters, as we'll go through the letters, you'll notice a recurring phrase in Paul's writings is you're in Christ, you're in Christ. He uses different ways to communicate that, but you are in Christ. You have been brought into relationship with him. You're now rooted in the story of what Jesus is doing. And therefore, this is where your identity and how you think about yourself is rooted and secure. And so he's writing to this people in this age where it's so easy just to always be looking around, how am I doing in comparison to everybody else? 
And the truth is, that's not just an ancient value. We, we see that, you know, how am I doing? We compare ourselves. And we, sometimes even in conversations, I can be so consumed with, with what you're thinking about me or how I'm doing, I'm not even paying attention to the conversation. And Paul says, look, that is of this age. And I know that's the world in which you live, and I know it's easy to do, but your identity is now rooted in this relationship with Jesus. You are part of the age to come. And so Paul says, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to work out your identity. And one of the ways that will work out is just a deepening freedom to act in humility. Now understand, and again, we've got to be careful here in terms of how we use language. When Paul talks about humility, when the Bible talks about humility, it's not about self-loathing. It's about self-forgetfulness. Right? The humility is, is an approach to life where I'm, I'm just not always consumed with me. Because if we're not careful in so much of the things going on in our lives, we can just let all of that become all-consuming. And my, I just, how am I doing? How are people thinking about it? In different ways, right? It's, it's all about me. And, and When I'm consumed with me, I can't see you. And Paul says, look, I get, I get this is the way things operate. And these were values deeply rooted in Roman culture. But he says, this is of this age. You've been called to something else. You've been brought into a relationship. And so I want you to live out your identity. I want you to be liberated beyond yourself because you're rooted in Christ. This week I was reading uh, an article in The Atlantic. And the, the article was reflecting on kind of our experience over the last few years, COVID and some of the things and that we've gone through. And uh, the article is entitled, How We Learned to Be Lonely. And the point of the article is, yes, we've kind of come through COVID and it feels like, you know, all that's in our rearview mirror. Yet for some of us, we've kind of developed deeper patterns of isolation, And we've kind of gotten comfortable in that. And, of course, the author's making an argument that's really not good for us. And even, you know, I was kind of getting ready for this message, even as I was thinking about what I was reading in this article, and I thought, what if, what if? What if as a church family, we were the people who in the relationships around us were liberated in humility to really be for other people. Right? It, of course, it, 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 there's no question. It's gotten more comfortable to kind of just be isolated, to kind of stick to ourselves and get comfortable in our routines. And, and maybe COVID has only intensified that. But, but I think Paul would say, yeah, yeah, I get it. But that's this age. Right? Even, even right now, are there, you know, are there ways you, you can just lean into your identity that will liberate you to be for other people. People in your family, people in your workplace, your classroom, your neighborhood. Maybe there have even at times been some ideas, I need to check up on this person, or I need to, you know, maybe I'll send a card, or wouldn't it be great if I did this for that person? You kind of have those ideas, and you kind of just let them sit there, and 
Maybe that was the work of God's Spirit encouraging you to live out your identity. And you know what Paul says? As you take those steps, (laughs) Paul says, look, there's new creation. Yeah, I know this is a divided culture. Things are polarized, and we we can lament all the things that are negative in our culture. But Paul says, yes, but there, there's the age to come. And so this is what we're going to see in Paul's letters as we go through them. What Paul is going to do time after time in different ways is say, this is what your new life is rooted in. This is your identity. And here's what it looks like to embrace it. Here's what it's like to live this out. Having said that, in introducing Paul to you, I I really want to invite you to be a part of this series. Not only to join us Sunday by Sunday, but also to kind of walk through this series with us using our devotional guide. And if you haven't picked this up, can I encourage you to do this, to pick up one of these. You can start this week. Each week there are just three short devotionals that can uh, kind of prepare you for what we'll be talking about on Sunday. And, and in each of these devotionals, we're going to encourage you to, to read a part of Scripture, to respond to it, to reflect, and to pray. And in, in using this series to kind of challenge us to, to, to grow in our understanding of our identity and, and to learn what it means to live this out, this is one of the ways you can participate by engaging this devotional guide. And I would say, and also, as you go through this series, as we go through this together, really to engage what we're learning in prayer. And we're going to be very intentional in how we build prayer into our services. When you get this guide, there's some very clear prayer prompts week by week. And we also, at the beginning of the guide, talk about different ways we can pray. And what I want to do as we start this series is just introduce you to one of those. There's a description in the book, but I want to introduce you to one of the ways that we can pray. It's called the prayer of examine, and and that simply means it's, it's a prayer of reflection that we can use toward the end of the day, just, just to kind of reflect under the day. It, it's, it's an invitation to pray at the end of the day in the way that we look back and try to see our day through God's lens, through what God has been doing. And, and for you, maybe this becomes just another way to grow in your relationship with God. Because remember, part of what Paul is saying is you need to be rooted in your identity. You need to be rooted in this relationship. So to to learn to live that out, your roots need to grow deep. And prayer is one of the ways we do that. So if you've never done this before, you know, this this is one of the ways where this series can encourage you to take next steps. As I said, there's a description in the book, but here, here are just kind of some themes to think about as you close your day to to reply, just, just brief, okay, so what happened today? What was this day like? And then where, where did I feel God's grace? Where was, were there moments where God was particularly present? Likewise, were, were there disappointing moments or painful moments or things that I didn't handle well? Where did I feel emotional pain today? Where, where did I sin? 
And then as you close that prayer to live differently tomorrow, just with a recognition and gratitude that God is walking with me, that my identity is rooted in him. Now, can I suggest that as we go through this series, just being intentional in closing your day this way kind of just becomes a way to grow, grow in the ways God is seeking to root you in your new identity and empower you to live that out. Now, very briefly, what I'd like to do is just lead you through a couple of the questions. I realize this is the morning, it's not the end of the day, but let me just, let me just give you a few seconds to reflect on two of these questions. And we'll just think about the last couple of days. During the last couple of days, where have you experienced God's grace? Where has God been present? Let me just give you a few seconds to think about that. Likewise, over the last couple of days, maybe what have been the pressure points? Maybe even a moments of emotional pain or things you didn't handle well that you just need to acknowledge. Let me give you a few seconds to reflect on that. Father, over the next few weeks, as we work our way through the letters of Paul the Apostle, in different ways, week after week, we're going to see how Paul is encouraging people to understand what you're doing and to understand that their identity is now found in this new work of God. And even as he does that, he also says, and this is what it looks like to live that out. Father, I I pray particularly for us as a church family, as a church community, that we're we're just going to be open to your spirit and what ways in which you you want to continue to stretch us and grow us in the course of working our way through this part of Scripture. Father, I I pray we really would be open to ways you really want to deepen our sense of identity and deepen our understanding of what it means to live that out. And with that in mind, I pray that we're going to be willing to engage this series, to use these materials, to to really be intentional in in praying with you and engaging with you in the course of this series. Because we've been invited to live as people of the new age. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. As you think about what this looks like in your own life, 
We'd love to pray with you about what that can entail, the particular issues going on in your life that we can pray with you right now. We're going to be available here at the front and members of our prayer team. And so we would love to come alongside and encourage and pray with you this morning. Now as you go and now as we really enter into this series, can we begin this week and really the early part of this year with a recognition that through the work of Jesus, we've been called, we've been invited, we've been challenged and equipped to live a life that is worthy of our new calling. Amen.